welcome to the Neurology Live Mind Moments Podcast. Tune in to hear leaders in neurology sound off on topics that impact your clinical practice. I'm your host, Matt Hoffman, an editor with Neurology Live. In this episode, I sat down with Dr. Indu Subramanian, director of the VA's Southwest Parkinson's Disease Research, Education, and Clinical Centers. She discussed the findings and the implications of a recent study she conducted which suggests that loneliness and social isolation can actually be a predictor of disease worsening in Parkinson's disease. Parkinson's doc. I've been a Parkinson's doctor for about 20 years. I've been really interested in looking at what makes uh, patients have better quality of life and reduce symptoms. Um, I have been Western trained as a movement disorder neurologist, but also have this background in integrative medicine and uh, have been interested in yoga and mindfulness as applications possibly to help our patients. I mean, going to those conferences about integrative medicine, I learned about these social determinants of health that were really unknown to me from medical school. And uh, I was really fascinated by the concept of loneliness and social isolation. Um, We ended up having um, this uh, web survey that we administer to patients. There's about 2,000 patients involved in our study and about 1,800 of them or so are Parkinson's patients. And we have a whole host of um, questions that we ask them about things that they can modify that might have something to do with how their quality of life is. Um, And so things like exercise, diet, um, and we started looking at some of these other determinants as well, such as loneliness and social isolation by asking specific questions like, are you lonely? Do you have a lot of friends? Things like that. And what we, when we looked at the data, um, we, I initially was really excited about yoga and its effects, but we ended up looking at the loneliness um, indicators and saw that loneliness is actually a hugely um, bad prognostic indicator for Parkinson's patients. And it's as bad for you to be lonely with Parkinson's as the beneficial effects of exercising seven days a week for 30 minutes a day is good for you. So it's a really huge um, determinant of uh, wellness in this population. And I think it's uh, all the more important to care about this um, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, Our research was conducted before the pandemic and we have um, a survey that goes out every six months. And so we'll see how this cohort is doing moving forward. And we've added some additional questions around um, loneliness and ways to measure it. But I think it'll be really um, important for us as a medical community to care about our patients, um, no matter what the disease state is. Um, There's actually data looking at aging populations, and uh, the data suggests that it's as bad for you to be uh, lonely as, as if you smoked a half a pack of cigarettes every day or if you were obese. So this is a huge determinant of health just in general populations and in Parkinson's patients specifically. I think it's really a big sort of um, red flag if somebody's lonely and isolated. I'm curious, how much do you think that it sort of speaks toward this movement of, you know, providing more comprehensive, more, you know, full now, especially that you're seeing a lot of institutions go toward like multidisciplinary teams where these patients who sort of require more than just care for their disease it's the other things that disease also impacts. 
Um, I'm just sort of curious how you think that fits into the comprehensive care model. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's probably why somebody like me got interested in some of these other things. I ended up doing a yoga teacher training, did a lot of mindfulness training actually at the VA where I run a center of excellence. And um, I've just, uh, you know, been drinking it all in. I think it's really important to think about disease um, and health in a very um, different way. I think, you know, the, the, even the World Health Organization talks about disease as not just the absence of illness, but actually, you know, sort of this holistic model of, you know, true mental, spiritual, you know, physical well-being. And the VA has actually been quite cutting edge in that regard. They have this um, program called the Whole Health Program, where the patient's kind of in the middle, and then all the things that make a difference for a patient's um, health are around it. So things like what they would eat, the people who are in their lives, you know, all these different factors. And so the sort of sense is that you're not just taking care of, you know, Mr. Smith with a tremor today, um, you know, who comes in on this pill, but really thinking about, you know, Mr. Smith and where he lives and all the people that, you know, impact him and can he actually get, um, you know, to get green vegetables if I prescribe that to him or can, you know, um, Mrs. Smith sign into the online yoga program that I'm asking them to do, you know, because they don't have, you know, internet there or they they are not savvy enough, you know, so I think we have to think about these uh, our patients in a very different way. And I think that the COVID-19 um, pandemic has really made us think outside the box. We're used to seeing a patient in our office with my white coat and the patient sitting in that chair and me typing. Now I'm seeing them, you know, like this with, um, you know, seeing what's in the background. I've really been um, so interested in, you know, the, the sort of stuff that's in my patients' homes or, you know, what's down the street, um, you know, for them to access and all the things that make them healthy and well. So it's, it's really, I think, made me pause and think about what really matters. And um, I think it's a important time for a lot of these things to be highlighted. And I think uh, people are becoming more open-minded to the concept of health as, you know, this sort of holistic kind of approach um, and, and thinking about the determinants of health in a very different way, including, you know, um, we see that, you know, race and ethnicity matter so much, you know, to who's who's dying from COVID. We see that, you know, um, something that impacts, you know, somebody across the world can impact me, you know, like a virus can spread or, you know, we can impact each other. And so I think it's just such a differently connected way of thinking about health these days that that is um, quite profound as a as a pivot uh, of, of change. So I think I'm excited to see what the future holds, but I, I think we have an opportunity to really think outside that box and intervene in ways that we may never have done before. And you mentioned the word, um, you know, how to ask about loneliness. Um, one of the things that I've been really interested in is the fact that I've never actually asked about that in a way. Um, you know, if somebody comes into my office with a wife and they seem to be getting along, I just assume that this man is not lonely. But from my reading and, and learning about this, um, there was a, a lot of interesting things that were revealed to me. Like um, you actually, in order to be um, not lonely, it's important for you to have quality relationships in three spheres. One is the intimate sort of sphere of maybe being, um, you know, connected to a partner or a spouse. The second is relation is the sort of relational loneliness of having um, people that are in your 
um, friend circle um, that care about you that you can confide in. And the third is actually that you, you're connected um, to a collective group um, in society that has a purpose that you have. So for my veterans, it might be being a veteran. For my Parkinson's patients, it might be, you know, joining a support group. And so these things each actually have to be quite fulfilled for people to not feel lonely. And so, you know, I think we have to ask patients in a different way. We have to say, how are you doing? You know, are you lonely? Do you have people in these three spheres? And I think it's quite powerful to care about this, um, you know, in a very different way than we may have done in the past. I'm interested, obviously, um, you know, you guys conduct this survey and you, you know, I mean, you've put together this poster um, for MDS. I am curious, you know, sort of how, what did you guys find in terms of the actual, you know, because you were using this as almost as a way to predict worse outcomes and, you know, disability worsening later on. I'm curious, you know, what specifically did, did you guys find and sort of what did you take away from that? Yeah, so we have this way of measuring quality of life. Um, it's a scale called the Pro-PD scale. Um, Dr. Mishley, who's a collaborator of mine, has um, looked at the scale and it seems to be um, you know, validated against our normal measures of quality of life. It's quite a patient-centered qual- um, quality of life scale, actually, because um, it, it includes a number of things that um, you know, the NIH had wanted um, to be included in patient-centered outcomes, which you know, so much of the research that we do and, and spend a lot of time talking about is actually completely not patient-centered. And so what we showed is actually something like tremor, which is like the most obvious Parkinson's symptom that like when you think about a Parkinson's patient, you think about this guy, you know, maybe stooped over with a tremor. Um, that actually doesn't have much to do with quality of life. But um, if you have a lot of friends, it can actually improve your quality of life significantly. And if you don't have um, any real relationships, it can actually be very, um, very bad for your quality of life. And it really impacts a lot of the non-motor issues that we talk about with Parkinson's patients. And so things like depression and anxiety, insomnia, apathy, those things are actually tremendously impacted by um, this issue of being socially isolated. And so, um, and that can be very powerful for a patient with Parkinson's that really can determine how they're doing on a day-to-day basis much more than anything we measure in a clinic with um, a physical exam or um, some of the scoring that we do traditionally. So I think it's it's quite important to care about what patients care about and be more patient-centered. And um, and I think, you know, not only do we identify this, but we also have come up with possible solutions to help it, um, which I think is exciting because so, so much of what we're talking about, you know, with COVID is this doom and gloom, um, you know, and I, I kind of frame it in the framework of the fact that Parkinson's in and of itself is a pandemic. There's been like a doubling of Parkinson's patient cases. Um, I think in the last 40 years it doubled and they say that by 2040 it will double again. So we have a huge number of an expanding population of patients and we haven't fully figured out why that is. Then we have this loneliness pandemic, which honestly affects every person on the planet. Um, You know, it doesn't matter who you are, if you're rich or poor, whatever. I mean, that is a pandemic that has kind of been a silent killer in some ways, as I mentioned. And then we have this third pandemic that's um, influencing these other two, which is the COVID-19 pandemic, which is, you know, really limiting our ability to see our patients and make dramatic changes with their pills. And um, we're just trying to keep our patients safe. Um, And so I think we have some powerful possibilities to intervene with um, what we work um, you know, titling social prescribing, which is um, a, quite a concept that has been established out there, but it's not very well known of uh, about. And um, this is a concept of literally prescribing 
a social intervention or social connection to our patients. So I can say, you know, Mr. Smith, um, I know that you're, you know, lonely and you don't have anyone who cares about you. And, you know, we have this actually new um, VA intervention um, where the veterans that there were a number of volunteers that used to come physically into the VA. If anyone's ever been to the VA, you probably have been greeted by a volunteer in the in the lobby. And um, and those folks are being told to stay home to keep them safe. Some of them are, you know, family members of veterans um, or like the you know widows of veterans. And that's their identity is like helping other veterans. Um, and we've told them to stay put in their homes for the last six months. And so there's this new intervention called the Compassionate um, Contact Corps. And uh, they're matching these um, volunteers with um, veterans through a survey, um, seeing, you know, were they in the same branch of the military, their favorite movie, their favorite, you know, hobbies, and connecting people, hopefully, with um, like interests. And then um, these volunteers will actually be either doing um, a digital, um, you know, sort of meeting like this, if they can, you know, get our patients to participate with that type of technology, or actually proactively calling people on the phone, which is really exciting. And, you know, just a simple phone call can actually make a huge amount of difference for somebody. And there's actually been some, some data on the benefits for the volunteer as well. Um, which is pretty exciting. So, so we're we're actually helping with um, designing a few questions to put into that survey that I told you about, um, and seeing if that changes um, as people are um, working with each other and helping each other out. And I'm quite excited because veterans um, who get lonely are actually at much higher risk of depression, anxiety, um, suicide. Actually, is really high in this population, and um, and then also substance abuse. So we really have to be careful with these populations and be proactive and make sure that we're taking care of them. So one of the things you mentioned obviously is, is this sort of doubling of the incidence of or the prevalence rather of, of Parkinson's disease. And I know some, I know uh, dementia is seeing sort of similar numbers, particularly as the population, you know, continues to age. And, and mm. get, um, I, I'm curious, you know, like you mentioned, you know, the, the veteran veterans themselves are, are an at risk group for a lot of these, challenges you know as is um parkins them having parkinson's aside do you think that these patients specifically might be at you know a higher risk of having worse outcomes based on on loneliness the actual survey that we did even though i work at a va it included you know thousands of patients just out there in the world so and there's a lot of women actually that were in the survey and younger women who were not that advanced so it's not the standard veteran population that I see day to day, I do work, you know, with um, research in all areas of this sort of interface of integrated medicine. And I, people tend to come to me because I am a boarded, you know, neurologist with a movement disorder background that has a yoga teacher training as well as, um, you know, an integrated medicine background, which I, I don't think there really is very many of us, maybe one other person, maybe on the planet, maybe not. So, um, so I, I, I end up working and collaborating with people, but the intervention that I talked to you about is actually a VA specific intervention of, of social prescribing, but there's actually been other models of that, including the national health system just wrote about this in the new England journal that they are doing using link workers to connect isolated people with, um, social intervention. So it is, it is a known kind of a thing that is being written about. Um, but but I think veterans in general are definitely um, at baseline um, a tougher population. They tend to be stoics. They There's a stigma associated with loneliness. You actually have to come in and talk to people about it. Sometimes people think if they have a mental health issue, there's a huge stigma. 
um, men are much less likely to identify with this problem and be honest about it. And that's my main VA population. So, so I think just normalizing it and saying that, you know, this happens to all of us. Um, I gave a talk like this, you know, last week and had a colleague actually in a different part of the country write an email and reach out to me because they were lonely and, and battling a lot of these sort of issues with, you know, um, feeling, you know, not in control of their emotions and things around that. So I think this is something that we as a community need to realize that it affects all of us, that any one of us could become lonely. Um, As I mentioned, you could be happily married and still be lonely. So, um, you know, it's, it's really um, out there and it it is something that we have to proactively identify. There's, um, you know, possibly a neighbor that lives on your street that could have this um, be battling this and just a simple phone call or, you know, dropping off something, a uh, nice card for them, you know, thinking about you or something, you know, just reaching out, you know, I think we're, we're all socially um, connected as a basic human need. I was really impressed with the data that, you know, loneliness is um, can impact actually sleep. It can impact our thoughts. If we get so lonely, it actually makes us hypervigilant and start thinking about the world in a very paranoid kind of, we fixate on all the negative stuff. So you can imagine if we have cohorts of patients and we actually, um, I have a colleague and I who who are writing this up currently, um, he's a doctor in Barcelona and in their lockdown, the the patients weren't allowed to go out of their, their, even their little apartments, even to go outside. And these patients became so lonely and sensory deprived that they, you know, all they got was some news up once in a while and they actually started getting psychotic and um, really anxious and depressed um, and, and really changed their mental state. So, so I think it is, it's almost like being in solitary confinement sometimes for, you know, like we wouldn't want to do to prisoners. So we've somehow created some of these situations for, for our patients and hoping to keep them safe right now. So I think we just have to be really mindful of that. And I think a lot of even my colleagues um, are just going through a lot in and of themselves with burning out. They're working nonstop on these Zoom meetings with really not a lot of true connection with each other. Um, it's part of the beauty of working together in medicine is the teamwork and the, you know, checking in with each other and, you know, knowing about how your team is doing. I, I lead a team and, you know, so much of what I do is just, you know, you know, making sure that we're all doing okay. And, and that's not easy to do with either wearing PPE with masks and a shield all day long. I, I don't really, you know, I can't hug my <laughs> patients or colleagues and, you know, it's a very disconnected way that we're interacting, honestly. So, um, so it's been, it's been very tough. Uh, and I will say I'm, I'm hosting a number of um, my colleagues on a a virtual support group for patients. And it's been really nice uh, to see them actually through this type of modality. And, and we kind of get off the, the, the line and are like, you know, I I miss you. I haven't seen you in six months. And normally we would have seen each other three times at different meetings. And, you know, it's just a very different way that we're interacting with even um, our medical colleagues and, and healthcare providers right now. So I think we just have to be mindful and, and vigilant even in our own, um, selves and in our, you know, close colleagues and just make sure, you know, I think that extra phone call to check in or scheduling maybe a virtual happy hour with somebody that, you know, has just been, you know, working nonstop and hasn't had a break and, and hasn't had you to, you know, um, give them a hug, you know, even if it's virtually, I think can be really, really um, helpful to just share the, the common human experience of what we're all going through right now.
it's it's interesting uh, the timing obviously of this like with with it obviously coming you know this data coming out now you know in the middle of this pandemic that you know it, and and we're talking about like you said you know conducted prior to the pandemic so it's I would be interested to see sort of how that may have changed or or what but I am curious do you think that you know again not to talk in a positive light about an extraordinarily negative yeah. situation but. Do you think that almost going through this pandemic and where a lot of people across the country and the world have had to do this sort of shutdown, this lockdown, that, you know, a quarantine period or whatever they may have had to go through, um, do you think that might hopefully make it easier for people to sort of grapple with this aspect of loneliness and, and this, this part of life that, that does, do you think it'll be easier to explain to patients how yeah. this have an impact? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, so I'm all about several linings. I'm, you know, very, uh, I try to spin a positive, you know, thing on every interview that I do with my support group and try to, you know, we're, we're actually interviewing some very powerful Parkinson's patients right now about their struggles and their activism. Um, I think we're in a really unique time of the world. I think that we are, you know, everyone sort of stopped and paused and, you know, from a mindfulness perspective, that's like, you know, when you introspect and, you know, you sort of, are present. Um, and, and you're sort of just like, cause I, I know that I was just sort of like kind of going on fast motion and I would have flown like three different places sometimes in one week. And I have, you know, I'm a parent, I, you know, my kids were coming and going and I barely saw them, you know, with the pace of life. So I think in many ways we're much more connected to sometimes, you know, our own garden and the flowers in it or the, you know, what my children are doing day to day, um, which I think is a beautiful thing, but, um, from a health provision perspective. Um, I'm excited to see what this time frame really is going to um, mean for our future. I I think that, you know, I've been trying to, you know, fight the fight on patients' behalfs to be heard about what matters to them and what they think makes a difference for them. Things like, you know, yoga, mindfulness, positive attitude, connecting with friends, they think that this makes a difference for how they feel with Parkinson's. And it's not about that, you know, expensive pill or this important surgery that we're doing with a $100,000 device or whatever. It's really about these basic, basic things that I think are universal in many neurological diseases that we haven't been able to study and measure and, and, you know, sell. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, you know, people like me who know about this and care about, you know, these sorts of things, um, have become kind of the, you know, the go-to people like for, for some of the stuff right now. And people are really asking me about, you know, Hey, you know, I'm feeling burnt out. I'm, I haven't been able to sleep. I'm, you know, this, that, and the other. And I'm kind of the, the person who people are coming to, to sort of have these chats around. And even from a physician wellness perspective, we're having, you know, some, you know, happy hours for women in neurology, for example, that are having some specific, you know, um, tough times with, uh, I think, you know, parenting at home and trying to, you know, wear all these different hats. Um, and then, you know, also the, but just, you know, I think, I think we are just connected on a very different way um, with our patients as well, because we ourselves are going through a lot. So I think we're realizing that um, these very basic things that are, have hugely been ignored or we swept under the rug um, are actually very impactful because now we as, uh, you know, humans on this planet are also suffering with this. You know, many of us are having anxiety. Many of us are worried about the uncertainty of the future. Many of us are 
wondering, you know, um, how our parents are going to be able to fare, you know, with this isolation and stuff and our kids are going to do with, you know, so it's almost like connected us, I think, on a level that's been really kind of beautiful and interesting and broken down a lot of the historical barriers of like, you know, you're the patient, you're my nurse, you're my, you know, you know, whoever, um, we're all in it together. So I think that the unity is kind of beautiful. And I've been working with a number of um, patients uh, in the Parkinson's community to kind of rally for a change a little bit with even what their message is. And they're, you know, kind of getting together now that people are kind of pausing and not running around so much to like, you know, say like this matters to us and how can we make a difference? And, you know, how, how can we really support the doctors like me who are trying to think outside the box to kind of get that message out there, you know? So, so I think it's been kind of fun um, and interesting and, you know, a little bit, um, it's it's a different kind of connection that I think we're we're all having in a in a very different way that I think is, is very meaningful to me as somebody who's done medicine for 20 years and was trying to, you know, realign my purpose, um, you know, to make sure that I was, you know, still doing the right thing for patients and, you know, was still showing up at work every day for the right reasons, you know, because I think a lot of that gets lost in the shuffle. So so I think the introspection is is sometimes a good thing. And I think the silver lining hopefully will be that we'll be hopefully realizing that, you know, on this planet, we're all connected in a way that is super important to our basic existence. And without that, we have nothing. So, you know, we have to care about this. And I'm excited that the Movement Disorder Society, which I have you know it's like these colleagues of mine that are just world game changers in my field have looked at my abstract which is on this topic and picked it as one of the top things to cover you know that's like crazy that's like would have been unheard of pre-covid but i think it's sort of an opportunity for somebody like me to you know (laughs) teach people about what i think makes a difference and people are listening you know so i'm excited for listening to this episode of the Neurology Live Mind Moments Podcast. To support the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, for more neurology news and expert-driven content, visit neurologylive.com.